Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily. It's Friday and we're just gearing up for the first weekend post the January transfer window. Will we see some fresh faces? I'm sure we'll see some familiar ones, but we're going to try and tackle on today's show the big question, who had the best and indeed the worst transfer window. Arsenal, Chelsea, both spending a bit of money. Everton and Liverpool, not really spending anything at all. And we'll talk about both of those teams, Everton and Arsenal indeed, as both face off in the early kickoff on Saturday. A club who are desperate for points for survival, Sean Dyche's Everton take on Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, who are looking to extend their gap at the top of the table. That will be just one of the talking points on today's episode of Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and joining me for the ride this Friday morning, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning. Now, on a Friday, we've started this new format for the show which is we're only going to give ourselves five minutes to tackle three topics and as soon as the five minutes is up that is done we have to stop talking about it and last week Marley you were pretty good at beating the buzzer I will say that I thought it might be a struggle for us because we do like to rattle on at times with our football opinions but we managed to keep it in time which was good going I've still got PTSD from from hearing (laughs) the uh hearing the buzzer like it's as if some sort of bad things going to happen. I felt like a Saw movie or something. Like you've got, <laughs> you've got five minutes to shut up or uh, you, you've got to chew your own leg off or something like that. <laughs> Did you ever watch that TV show back in the day called 24? Yes. See, I never watched it. A little it. bit of it. 
Well, I, I, I know, know what you mean, it, though. You mean but the, I, the ticking, the, don't the, you? The ticking, right? Everyone knows yeah. that that's the 24 ticking, even if you haven't seen the show. Maybe yeah. it's a little bit akin to that. All right, well, let's not waste any time. Let's get straight into it then. And the first thing we're going to tackle today, topic number one of three, is who had the best and the worst transfer window? Let's start with the best. Joel, we'll come to you first. Arsenal strengthened of course, by bringing in Jorginho, and we know that they're in a promising position, top of the Premier League right now. At the other end of the table, Bournemouth and Wolves made some really important additions as they bid to survive in the top flight this season. Nottingham Forest also added plenty, including a new one just this morning, as free agent Andre Aryu has arrived at the city ground, whilst Chelsea spent an absolute fortune, I think. What was it, 400 million? Something like that. I'm just plucking figures out of thin air, but I can't be too far away. So, over to you, Joel. Who do you think had the best transfer window? I'm going to pick one that's a little bit more left field. I know now you're probably not going to like this one, but I think Southampton. And that's only because of the context of what they've done, which is that they're at rock bottom of the Premier League. I didn't expect them to pay that much. I think they paid close to 60 million for this transfer window alone. And it's with players who have got a different kind of profile. You know, you've got Suleiman who had a pretty good World Cup. Then you got Orsic who brings a little bit more experience into the side. And when you look at the fact that prior to this transfer window, I thought if they didn't make any transfers in this, they're completely gone. Especially with the way in which the new managers come in and had, you know, six successive defeats in the Premier League and it just looked like the writing was on the wall. But I think after paying that amount, it just shows how much backing that they've got from those owners. And I think going forward, I mean, they've just signed that Onuachu as well. The uh, six foot seven great Carly beast from Belgium. And uh, <laughs> I really His highlight reel is incredible. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's seen the uh, the famous was it the famous hat trick of <laughs> just fumbles and I don't know how it ended up going in to be honest. It was a bit crazy, but if he can bring hat tricks like that to Southampton, I don't think their fans are going to be too <laughs> annoyed about it. But yeah, I think for them, just in terms of bringing belief, because I always know when players talk about new players coming into the squad, it always gives everyone a new lift, gives everyone new energy and just a new motivation. So I think it's going to be massive for them. And then in terms of the worst, I think it's clear that it's Liverpool. And we've talked about it a few times in the last few podcasts over a couple last couple of weeks. But it's just so simple. It's the fact that they've just prioritised in the wrong area. And they've gone for a player who I know has had pretty good seasons with Ajax, but it, the World Cup has basically prompted their purchase, which I'm not a massive fan of. And when you look at their midfield, which has got you know a labouring Jordan Henderson, a Fabinho who... I don't know what the hell's happened to him. I don't know what serial he's changed to or what kind of something's gone on in his life which has completely made his form go out of the window. And then you've got James Milner who they're sometimes relying on at right back or coming in in the midfield. It's just a complete drop-off in quality compared to you know, the likes of the last three, four, five years. And I saw someone tweet that Fred, the Manchester United player, now easily gets in the Liverpool midfield and you never would have thought to say that in the last five or six years. And that's the situation they're in at the moment, which is that it just seems the way in which they're going about their signings and the way in which just the owners are going about the running of the club, obviously following the announcement of wanting to sell the club, has just gone a bit strange. So Jurgen Klopp has got everything to do in these next four months I would say but I just think trying to get top four is completely out the window for them because a good midfield is just essential for actually having a little bit of success in the Premier League and it's just I don't think it's anywhere close to being good enough 
Okay, so a wild card from Joel who says Southampton have had the best window, but Liverpool have had the worst. Kindly, he's left you with a minute each, Marley, to discuss who you think's had the worst and the best transfer window. So over to you. Um, I to be fair, I thought we were both gonna pick the same the same clubs, um, but neither of of what Joel said is the one I'm going for. I think Arsenal have had the best um, in terms of bargains. I think you know they wanted Mudrick, which obviously went the wrong the wrong way for them. Um, but they assessed it really quickly and went and signed Trossard, which I think is just as good a signing really, because um, I think they already had, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, they've already got young wingers. You don't need another young winger to compete with other young wingers. And you want somebody with a bit of experience. Trossard at 28, Premier League appearances, Premier League goals, loads of them, playing, uh, gets in the Belgium team and squad all the time. Um, so I think he's, he's a really smart signing for... 24 million or whatever it was um and then they did the same thing with Jorginho I think reacting to a situation where you know Chelsea were on the way to the skip with with all the unwanted players because they were bringing in 300 new ones um and then Jorginho is left surplus to requirements and they've gone do you know what he doesn't even have to move house to come here so it's a it's a nice quick one to to do and it's more experience for um a, a fairly inexperienced squad so I'd go for Arsenal um, taking that. And they got the Polish centre-back as well, who I'll be honest, I've never seen him play, but he's more cover for for a defence, which might lack at times if if somebody gets injured. Um, So I think Arsenal have had the best. And without doubt, I think uh, Everton have had the worst. (laughs) I don't know how you can have anything other than the worst transfer window when you don't sign a single player and you're 19th in the Premier League. And you've got, oh, there's them bloody buzzers again. Um, yeah, 40 million in the bank from Gordon. Didn't spend it. You're just leaving Deitch even harder to, you know, do his job now. Yeah, Sean Deitch, and he's got a tough job. It's interesting, Marley, that you've chosen, there's the buzzer. It's interesting that you've chosen Arsenal and Everton as the two teams to have had the best and the worst transfer windows, respectively, because that's exactly what we're going to talk about next. Because the 12:30 kickoff this weekend in the Premier League is at Goodison Park, and it is Everton in the bottom three against the league leaders Arsenal. So we've got a club who needs points to survive in Everton, just 15 on the board at the moment, and really staring down the barrel of relegation back to the champ. I say back to the Championship. They've never been to the Championship. A first time relegation to the Championship against the club who are desperate to win their first Premier League title in 20 years it is the 20 year anniversary I think is it of that invincible season or maybe I'm one out 19 years it might be but still it's a hell of a long time for a club like Arsenal to have not won a Premier League title so we'll start with you this time Marley who comes out on top this weekend between an Everton side managed by Sean Dyche or an Arsenal side who have been absolutely flying under Mikel Arteta this season uh, it's it's the ultimate, it's the litmus test, isn't it, of uh, new, man- new manager bounce. <laughs> Where's the cliche bell? There's two in a row there. <laughs> yeah, nice little uh, cliche brace there. Um, no, it's, um, I mean, it's at Goodison, which is exactly what you want. for Tough place to go. For a first, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> for a first manager, first game, sorry, you want, you desperately want a home game. You desperately don't want top of the league, to be fair, but it's that's there's another one. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's it's tough, but you know you've got to get on with it. I, th- I actually think Sean Dyche will revel in it because there's less pressure than the, there probably would be if this was a six pointer against West Ham like last week. 
um you know that would that would be a much more um like there'd be so much more instant reaction off the back of it if they lost or or even if they won um but yeah it's um it's a tough test against arsenal obviously but i think Deitch will be right up for it but i can't i look at everton's team and i just think 1 to 11 you are not a good squad I, I I get that Burnley were like solid pros and stuff, and I, I don't really see it with Everton. I see a lot of people that will shirk away from the battle. Like I don't. Well, he's had them doing the bleep test this week in his first couple of training sessions. He's had the players doing the bleep test, and in his press conference, which I just caught up with before speaking to you guys this morning, he said that actually there's plenty of good players in the Everton squad, and he only feels like bringing players in in a transfer window is worth it if they're better than what Everton already had, and he's convinced ah. that they're just low on confidence and they're good enough to. I don't soar at the table. I don't buy into that, to be honest. I think that's something you say when you couldn't spend. You, you can't tell me you've got forty million in your in your pocket, and you don't, and, and you you just chose not to spend it. Like there is, there's at least two players out there that you can get in the space of. Let's be honest. Like the the move for Gordon went through on deadline day, but it was in the works for a week before that. Um, so they knew they were getting the money. So. Could they not have, you know, if if they had a plan upstairs, they could have planned way better. They could have had two players in it at least. Um, one being a striker, one being a midfielder that can pass the ball because in the middle they haven't got any creativity. They've got some decent players, but I don't think they mould into a team very well. I think the right back position's really, really poor. That Patterson doesn't look, in my opinion, good enough to, to play in the Premier League. Left back's an issue. Mikalenko has not looked very good. Um, Idrissa Ghana gay in midfield has, has just played like a player that came from PSG and he's playing for Everton and, and doesn't feel like he, he I think he feels like he's better than Everton and he's not putting in 100% he's not the old Idrissa gay who was so good that he got to PSG um, he's he's sort of down in tools a little bit Onana's doing his best but he's a bit pretty much a one man midfield in there and Damari Gray is the best uh, player they've got and he was 1.7 million Signed by Rafa Benitez, so they all give they all give Rafa Benitez a stick. Everton fans saying, "Oh, you know, we didn't want him. We never wanted him. He should never have been here." I think without Damari Gray, they'd have been even lower down the table because he started the season pretty well. Um, I think he's Everton's top scorer. Calvert Lewin's just picking up, you know, hamstring and thigh injuries and ankle injuries and all sorts of stuff. He's not playing. More pay twenty million. He was rubbish. Uh, he was rubbish before you signed him. Don't know why you signed him for twenty million quid, but. There's big problems at Everton, but it's a test of how good Deitch is as a manager. Can you turn these sort of talented but maybe lacking in attitude type of players into hard-working pros that you've seen at Burnley, like the likes of Johan Berg Goodmanson, was never the best right midfielder in the world, but you could, you'd struggle to get past him because he'd put a shift in and he'd run 12k a game and it was like, Barnes and Wood will smash you. They might not dribble past you. They might not score goals, but they will smash you for 90 minutes and you'll be knackered in the 90th minute. So when that corner comes in and Ben Mee attacks it like it owes him money, he's probably going to, he's probably going to beat you to it. So that's, that's that hard work thing, but you've got to instill that in the middle. Well, in the middle of the season, start of February, you know, you can't shirk any uh, responsibility there. So it's a big one this weekend, I think. Ironically, Johanberg Goodmanson's just signed a new deal at Burnley, funnily enough. Um, and bringing it back, why to... his name pops into my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, bringing it back to Everton, Sean Dyche obviously has only been in the building a couple of days, George. Do you think he's had enough time 
to make a difference. How do you see this one going against Arsenal? You've got a minute to tell us. Well, he's had enough time to get a bleep test in and make them all wear shin pads and socks <laughs> for the first training session. So When he walked out in those Copper Mundials, I was thinking, here we go, this is a guy That's when business. you know he meant business when he walked in. I saw in someone in tweet saying Sean Dyche walking onto the training ground in his Brexit boots and shorts and <laughs> minus three degrees. And brilliant. Just typical, isn't it? I mean, if there was ever a game that they needed a new manager bounce... Thank God it's the one against Arsenal because I think for the rest of football we wouldn't mind a nice little Everton victory tomorrow. Um, it's hard to see. It's like Marley said, they had a really bad transfer window. Arsenal's was p- pretty good and it only feels on paper like he's going to go one way, which is an absolute Arsenal thumping. And unless, like I say, they can get some kind of new manager bounce where the fans feel on side with them, I only see it going one way, to be honest. And that one way is an Arsenal win, no doubt? Probably. Unfortunately. Unfortunately for Joel, who looks disappointed at that fact. Yeah, because Man United are right on the tails. It's not for me, it's just for the rest of football. No one wants an Arsenal title win. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you, do you not think? No, yeah, I do, no, I do think. <laughs> they would be insufferable I, for but, years. Years. You, what, you would rather Arsenal win? I would rather Arsenal win the title than Man City. You've just said it's... Sorry, I'd, I'd rather City win the I'll... title than Arsenal. <laughs> That's. I think that's a, a strange shout though, because it's your your city rivals. It's another year where you're not even the best in your city. Yeah, it is. But Liverpool. Yeah, but Liverpool have always been our right. Main, shut up. That's full time. Enough on that. Come on, let's we're moving it's on. Different. Right. Let's talk about some of the other Premier League fixtures that are taking place tonight. Friday night, eight o'clock kickoff. Chelsea against Fulham in a West London derby. I saw Willian actually tweeted about his kids. And mentioning that Chelsea are playing Fulham tonight. Of course, he used to play for Chelsea, didn't he? And his kids apparently are supporting Chelsea in this game tonight. And he said, well, your dad plays for Fulham now. And they went, we don't care. You can play well and score as long as Chelsea win, which I thought was quite funny. He scored last time, didn't he? So He did score last time. Yeah, he did. Um, the game we've just mentioned is Saturday lunchtime, half 12, Everton, Arsenal, Goodison Park. Villa, Leicester, Brentford, Southampton, Brighton, Bournemouth, Manchester United host Crystal Palace. Wolves take on Liverpool and Newcastle United have the evening kickoff against West Ham. On to Sunday, it's Nottingham Forest against Leeds. And the final game of the weekend is Tottenham Hotspur against Manchester City. And that's our final Fast 3 topic today on Friday's Football Social Daily. Spurs need to close the gap on the top four, Joel. Manchester United and Newcastle currently occupying those positions, whereas Manchester City need to close the gap on Arsenal if they are serious about chasing down the Gunners and winning yet another Premier League title. But the funny thing about this fixture is if Spurs beat Manchester City, that in turn helps out their rivals Arsenal. Always good games between these two teams. How do you see it going? Well, Spurs are the ones who are a little bit of an Achilles heel to City in the last few years. I know that the last game, that 4-2, I would say is pretty unlucky on Spurs' behalf just because you know they went up 2-0, it looked pretty comfortable and then City just absolutely demolished them in that second half. But I mean, prior to that, City have never won a game at Spurs since 2018, but that was at Wembley, so they've not really had an official win at Spurs' home ground since 2014, which is a long, long time ago at White Hart Lane. And I think for Spurs, it just seems like they have some... Their forward line has a kind of setup which really hurts City in terms of their counter-attacking, especially when you've got wing-backs as well, which are countering with the uh, wingers such as Kulisevsky and Son. It just seems to hurt them every single time they play, especially in the last three or four years. Um, But I think for City, this is... 
I think this um, this is a massive psychological test just purely because if they don't get a result from this, let's say they lose, like you say, Arsenal, if they beat Everton, go eight points clear and with a game in hand, which could take them to 11 points. And I mean, when you get to double figures in terms of the amount of gap between you and your competitors, that's a massive, massive gap to, to fill. But... I still think at this stage, the fact that Arsenal City have still yet to play their two games against each other is way too early to start calling, you know, oh, is it too late for City to catch up? Because it never will be until we can see exactly how those two games are going to go as well because there's six points on the line there. But for Tottenham, I mean, I think I was encouraged by their performance at City, although in that second half it was just complete crumble, uh, complete, complete capitulation. And just like Conte said, it wasn't necessarily that they played bad in that second half. It was just literally four individual errors that continuously cost them. I mean, if you think back to Lloris getting done at his near post when Mares scored to make it 3-2, it's just moments like that which completely changed the whole status of the game. So I think for Tottenham, they should go into it with a lot of confidence purely on the fact that City have still not been able to um, do anything against them. Um, when they play Tottenham at their ground. So I think for me, this is probably closer than what everyone thinks it probably will be. And I'm sure Arsenal fans will be watching on, thinking and hoping that uh, their rivals can do them a favour. We presume that Antonio Conte won't be on the touchline, Marley, just because he's had this operation to remove his gallbladder and wishing him all the best. So it's likely that he's not going to be there. We don't know whether Pedro Porro will be you know, getting his first start for Tottenham. There are a few variable factors. One factor that hasn't really varied too much throughout this season is that Erling Haaland is an absolute goal machine, already miles ahead of everyone else in terms of the Premier League goal-scoring charts and not a great deal behind your hero, Alan Shearer, and indeed Andy Cole, when it comes to the record for the most Premier League goals in a single season. That is 34. Do you think that he breaks it this season? Yeah, he's he's got some bullying to do left. Um whether he, he tends to score in bunches, doesn't he? Like he won't get if he gets one, he'll usually get yeah. at least like two or three. I mean, he's, the guy's got four hat tricks already. Like, yeah, it, what's mad is he might not score for two or three games, and then the next game he'll go and score a hat trick to make up for the fact he hasn't scored in the the previous games. Yeah, <laughs> so it looks like you know he's he's got a you know a, a one in one record, but like mm. you know it. So that's how it balances out. Um, remember when he scored nine for for Norway's under twenty ones. Uh, in the uh, against like Malaysia or somewhere like that, and it, it was like this guy could go. This guy could now go ten games without a goal and still average one in one. But obviously, he carried on scoring anyway and ended up with way more goals than games. Proper stat padding. <laughs> that, that's that's Haaland for you. I think um, I read before that City haven't scored a goal at um, at Spurs' new stadium. Never mind uh, get a get a result there. So that's something that he can. He can have a, a, for him as well. I think he'll he'll have probably uh, heard about that and probably thought, yeah, that's that's for me as well. There's another little bit of history, another record to to break, another sort of something to write your name in the history books for, and and he'll be up for that. But it's the Spurs thing as well. I think this Conte thing's a huge a huge um, factor in the game. The fact that he's not going to be there. Um, probably for the best. I mean, I don't know what I can't think of any people I would rather watch a game with less than Antonio Conte because I'm assuming it'll be the same watching it on TV as he is on the touchline just ranting around chucking coffee tables around or something like that and and doing his uh, his recovery from gallbladder surgery absolutely no good at all um, if he's in the hospital I'd, I'd be wary of the nurses to be honest um, 
But yeah, I think his his influence on the touchline is not going to be. Uh, it's got to be missed, basically. Yeah, Antonio Conte likely not to be there as Spurs take on Manchester City in the Premier League on Sunday. That is the final game of the Premier League weekend. So let's take a quick look at the table then before we finish on today's podcast. Arsenal top of the tree, 50 points with four wins out of their last five games and they take on Everton who are in the relegation zone. Manchester City second and five points back on 45. Newcastle and Manchester United complete third and fourth respectively, both on 39 points. Three points off the top four are Tottenham Hotspur who are fifth and there's a five point gap between them and Brighton who are in sixth. Fulham and Brentford play seventh and eighth whilst ninth and tenth are Liverpool and Chelsea terrible seasons by their standards into the bottom half now Aston Villa Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest complete 11th to 13th while just above the relegation zone on 18 points Leicester Leeds and West Ham 17 points in 17th the Wolves and the relegation trio the place is held at the moment by Bournemouth Everton and bottom of the table Southampton Everton and Saints both on 15 points each respectively so that's how things look in terms of the Premier League table This has been Friday's Fast 3 on Football Social Daily. Don't forget, you can still listen to our interview with Matt Jarvis, the former West Ham Wolves and England winger, which was released yesterday. He told some cracking stories about life at Wolves under Mick McCarthy and even the time he had to cut short a lad's holiday to Marbella so he could meet Mick McCarthy and sign terms at Molyneux. Some cool stories there from Jarvo, so hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it. Next week, you'll be hearing from former Manchester United Champions League winner, Wes Brown. He'll be joining us in the studio. So make sure you hit subscribe, as I say, and that way you will not miss any further episodes right throughout the course of Monday to Friday. And that's when we'll next see you on Monday morning. So see you then here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.